Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Amen. Thanks, Karen, for doing our, or our scripture. And thanks, Pete, for doing our announcements. Uh, before we start, I just want to remind you where we are in scripture. Um, we've been looking at John chapter 14, um, because John chapter 14, the apostles and Jesus found themselves in a time of trouble, a time in the shadow of the cross that they were getting ready to face, and Jesus in a desire to comfort his apostles, says, do not let your heart be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on to state a number of promises to his apostles and to you and I about things that you and I should believe when we face trouble. But why are these important? Well, I want to remind you that John 14 is just a part of a three-chapter monologue that Jesus does, John chapter 14 through 16, at the end of that monologue, Jesus says why he's saying all these promises. So our, our little pre-sermon, before the sermon, if you got your Bibles, you can look at it. Why did Jesus say these promises? John 16, verse 1. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that for the purpose of you may be kept from stumbling. In times of trouble, stumbling is a real possibility. But Jesus also says, I don't want you to stumble. Chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things, these promises I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. When you face trouble in your life, when, when things go, go south, it's hard, you have two choices. You can go down the path of stumbling and falling away from the Lord, away from fellowship with his body, or you can go down the path of belief in Jesus and his promises and have your joy made complete. And so right now, let's just take a moment and just pray. Ask the Lord that we would choose the latter and go down this path of belief and have our joy made complete. Would you pray with me? Jesus, how we praise your name. Thank you for the singing we're able to do, for you nourishing um, our bodies and our spiritual souls. Um, with the communion table today, and that we can join together uh, as one and, and walk to you together. Jesus, would you be with us now as we look at your word? Would you let us be men and women who are changed by your word? Lord, in, in your supernatural way, would you even speak through me words that are true? And would you penetrate each of our hearts and that we wouldn't be callous or think of how these words apply to somebody else, but that we would each think of how these words apply to our lives, and let us be changed by you by them. Be with those of us who aren't with us in this room, those watching online, or 
maybe just elsewhere today. We ask that you would bless them, comfort them, encourage them, challenge them. Uh, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two days ago, Friday morning, uh, our family was celebrating the end of the school year. True and brave, they did it. They made it through another school year. And so we wanted to have a day of celebration. And what a celebration day at our house usually consists of, it starts in the morning with Auntie Liz, mom, <laughs> making an amazing breakfast. And for those of you that know her, she is a boss at making Swedish pancakes. We don't know if she's Swedish, but she makes great Swedish pancakes. And so it's like clockwork. Liz wakes up, she goes to the kitchen, kind of rolls up her sleeves, gets everything ready, starts to work, and then little Amaris, who's over in class has her little antennas up and drops whatever book or Lego she's breaking and she's like oh let me go into the kitchen and be with mom and and she grabs her little chair at the kitchen table and parents you know the sound it's usually a little more annoying than that because there's not carpet on your kitchen she pulls it from the table over to the countertop and she gets up on it and she goes can I help mom and you see how loving and kind mom is and so little Amaris, she's got some skills at the ripe old age of two. And she's like, Mom, I'm so good at cracking eggs. Let me, let me crack the eggs. And Okay, sure. And crack, and some of it makes it in the bowl. Some of it kind of drips out the side. Okay, um, let me try to fix that. And oh, but Mom, I'm really good at stirring the batter. And so Liz's like, well, let me get a really big bowl and just a little bit of batter. And, you know, and batter's going everywhere all over her pink and a little you know, her hair, and she got batter in it, and then the safest part of the whole time is, well, we got the griddle going, it's only 350 degrees, and pour the batter on, mom, can I flip the pancakes, you know, and totally safe, I promise, and Liz helps her, but, you know, it's kind of, and the pancakes get a little bit squished and wrinkled, and they don't quite go flat as they're supposed to. Lord bless my little Amaris and all she tries to do. And Lord bless my wife for helping her do it. Good job, babe. Today we're looking at Jesus' promise of purpose. And for those of you who have heard my testimony, know that I'm well acquainted with this word purpose because I had some tottering 20s, as I call them, and I, I struggled to find purpose. Um, so I'm acquainted with this word. But Jesus promises us our purpose and he does so in our times of trouble in John chapter 14, verse 12. The verse that Karen read, let's read it again. John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. If you are ever wondering what your purpose in life is, if you believe in Jesus, it is to do greater works then Jesus, it's not heretical, Jesus said it, not me, take it up with him, but notice who this promise is for. Last week, Pastor Josh was talking uh, in the same passage, a different promise, the promise of certainty in, in our going to heaven, and Jesus was talking to a specific apostle at that time, Thomas. Thomas had asked him, how can I know I'm going to be with you? And Jesus pushes the si crowd aside, and he goes, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he goes one-on-one, -on -one, very intimate moment with Thomas. Fast forward just a few verses. Now Jesus isn't talking to Thomas anymore. There's a new apostle who's asked him a question. 
John 14, verse 8. And you can look at it. John 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Uh, but Jesus says, Philip, I got something that's better than just enough for you. Trust me. And what he does is he uses the Greek phrase, pastuin. Pastuin. It's the Greek phrase that he goes, you know what, Philip? I want to tell you something, but I don't only want to tell it to you. I want to tell it to pastuin. And we read it in English, he who believes, whoever believes. And he comes away from Philip and he says, Pastuin, whoever believes in me will do the greater works. And it's this Greek phrase, Pastuin, that we, we see eight times in the Gospel of John. And why is it significant that we know this Greek phrase, Pastuin? Because it connects us with those other times that Jesus says it. And so a couple times that he says it, John 6, 47, I'll just read it for you. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Pastuin, whoever believes has eternal life. That too is a promise. John 7, 38, Pastuin, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, Pastuin, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater than these because I go to the Father. And so by this one phrase, Pastuin, whoever believes, we learn two things. One, we learn that this promise of doing greater things, this promise of purpose, isn't a side novelty promise. It's on par with receiving eternal life for believing in Him. And we see that it's on par with having rivers of, of living water flowing out of us. And we will do greater works. It's that kind of promise that's for sure in your life. But we also learn this word pastuin, that this promise was not just for Philip alone. And it wasn't just for his 12 apostles who heard Jesus audibly speak this word. And it, it's not just a promise for the missionaries we show on the screen or, or for the pastors or for the elders or your Bible study leader or your Ohana group leader. This promise is for Pistuan, whoever. This promise is for you. That you will do greater works than Jesus. Pistuan, whoever. If you have your outlines, got them at the, the doors or maybe online, the PDF. First truth from our passage today is your purpose is promised. Your purpose is promised. You will do greater works when you believe in Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's a little intimidating if you know the works that Jesus did. Gospel of John alone, Jesus healed a boy. He he healed a paralyzed man. He made a blind man see. He fed 5,000 people, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Go ye and do likewise. I'm sure you have. I was curious. I don't always like giving the stories, so I'm just going to let you guys give the stories that you guys have done, the raising of the dead thing. So um, this is Mike 5, Sean, if you can turn it on. Who wants to be the first to tell the story of when you've raised somebody from the dead? Or multiple people. You'll do greater works. Everybody's like, don't fix this weird... All right, fail. Last service, we had a lot more. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying. Does God care about physical needs? Does God provide physical miracles? Yes. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that you or I would see somebody raised from the dead in the name of Jesus. Those miracles can still happen by his power. But as important as physical 
miracles are raising Lazarus from the dead, the dude had to die again, just like 20 or 30 years later. I don't even want to go through the dying process once, let alone twice. And if I was texting you this sermon, just so you know I'm really good at my gift game, I would insert this gift talking about Lazarus. I pity the fool. He had to die two times. That would not be fun. And so we see that Jesus' physical miracles pointed to a deeper work than just our physical world. His physical miracles were for the purpose of seeing you and I live forever in his big, big house that doesn't have drywall dust. That is the purpose of his miracles. And he says, you too have been promised that you will do this kind of work if you believe in Jesus. And he defines this work, just in case if you're wondering what it is, in John chapter 6. You can, just a few chapters back, John chapter 6, verse 29. People are wondering, well, how do we do the works of God? How do we do it? And Jesus says this, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. You ready? Now you're going to know. Highlight this. The work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. So simple. The work of God is to believe in Jesus. And if you have believed in Jesus, take comfort knowing that you have already done his work. And it's complete and it's full and you can rest in that. You don't have to do anything else because you believe in Jesus. Greater works have already happened and will happen. But, as Pastor Perry says, it's the word that changes everything. But, this promise is not just, a, 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 this purpose is not just a promise, it is also a petition for you. Your purpose is promised, but your purpose is also petitioned. And if I was really good at the sermon notes, that would be on there as a blank as well. So your first truth is twofold. Your purpose is promised and petitioned. And you and I know this verse as the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And as Jesus promises that we do this, he'll be with us. He'll give us the power to do it. Because when Jesus was here, his ministry, his three-year ministry, Jesus only stayed in one little tiny spot of our world. He was only in Palestine, a little area in the Middle East. And he didn't see very many converts in his three years of ministry. Fast forward, the first day of his, his apostles' work, they see 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Day one, greater works. And church history tells us that the apostles went out to the ends of the earth. Paul went to the ends of Rome making disciples. The apostle Thomas went to India making disciples. And the gospel has gone forth like that for 2,000 years with men and women making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who have discipled you. And now you are in Kailua, Hawaii. Are you making disciples? Who will make disciples? Who will make disciples? Who will make disciples? And we'll go into China and we'll go into India and go into all the stand countries and, and complete the journey of the gospel going from Jerusalem west all the way back to Jerusalem. Are you making disciples? And some of you, yeah, you're, you're crushing it. But we have an enemy who will stop at no ends to try to prevent you from doing God's greater work. 
So having seen that God's purpose for you is a promise and a petition, what prevents you from doing God's work? What stops you from doing the greater works of Jesus? Let's do an open mic again. Who wants to go first? What, what stops you from doing Jesus' works? Anybody want to? You're like, dude, that's not funny. Okay, I'll stop with the open mic joke. <laughs> well, for me, because that's kind of a hard survey to do, I thought of things that prevent me from doing God's work. And if you're anything like me, maybe what prevents you from doing God's work falls into one of four categories. Okay, in these categories, I'll start with the letter T. I kind of like that, okay? So you can write these down. Things that prevent you from doing God's work. T, transgression. T, time. T, talent. T, tender heart. Transgression, time, talent, tender heart. Things that can prevent you from doing God's work. First one, transgression. If you're in sin, you're going to be prevented from even having the desire or the ability to do God's work. Philippians 2, 13. So just don't sin, okay? We, we got that? It's like, okay, yeah, sin isn't going to happen in this church all week. Cool. We'll come back. We'll, we'll do it again next week. No more sin. Okay, so two, the second thing that can prevent you, time. Maybe you have a time issue. You have a very time-consuming job where you're going to work every day. You're organizing people. You're, you're doing that, that, that training exercise. You're, you're leading others. You're, you're stacking the boxes, and it just takes a lot of time. And then maybe you come home and and you have lots of kids and you got to do the dishes and you got to play Legos and you got to change diapers and, or you come home and, and there's a sick loved one that you're caring for and you have to tend to them, care for their wounds, give them their meds, take them to the doctor's appointments, do the insurance phone calls that take so much time. Or maybe you're just trying to stay healthy yourself and independently living, but that in and of itself takes so much of your time. How are you going to do God's greater works if all your time is taken up already? Well, there's a story, it's kind of, I've heard it a few times, it's recounted about Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer from the 1500s. And he was asked by a, a young man, a, a new convert, who was so busy working his shoe business, he was like, but Martin, how do I do God's work? All I do is make shoes all day. To which Martin Luther said, well, make shoes as best as you can and sell them for a good price. And we see Martin Luther saying, do what Paul said. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Colossians 3.23, redeem the time. If you're working in a job that's creating good in this world, if you're taking care of kids or a sick loved one, or, or if you're just taking care of yourself and just keeping your own body and self healthy so you can live independently, you're already doing the works of God. Don't do anything else. Don't feel burdened or guilty to do more because you're already doing it. T, talent. Maybe time isn't your problem. You don't have kids or they're out of the house. You're retired. You're empty nester. You have the time, but your talent. Maybe you don't quite feel capable, confident, or commissioned to lead a Bible study or a Ohana group or to help out with Sundays. You're like, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Well, about six years ago, I was a new youth pastor here and a uh, young seventh grade gal came up to me and she goes, hey, Pastor Pete, can I join your worship team? And I was like, sure, sounds like fun. So we started, you know, singing worship for the junior hires that night and I found out she wasn't 
quite yet a good singer. But it was okay because I quite wasn't a good singer yet either. So we just kind of went in B-flat minor and just, we had a great time. And the poor junior high kids, Lord bless them as well. But we had fun. We worshiped the Lord. But then a year later, this young gal got a little bit bolder and she goes up to Pastor Josh and she's like, oh, hey, Pastor Josh, can I sing on your worship team? And Pastor Josh in his mighty wisdom of the old age was like, let me hear you sing first. I've taken notes, my friend. He hears this young gal sing, and he, he realizes that she has a calling on her life from the Lord to lead others in worship, and she has a passion to do so, but she's not quite capable, confident, or commissioned to do so. She needs some more training on her voice, and so he goes, well, why don't you take voice lessons for a while? And then, you know, then we'll reassess. And so this young gal takes that to heart. She stands by that piano for hours over the next month, years, and she's getting voice lessons every week, training her voice, getting equipped. Fast forward now a few years. We're going to June 6, 2021. That's today, right? And this young gal now holds this microphone and leads us in worship every single week. McKenna Lawton, are you still in here? Thank you, McKenna. She's over in Sunday school, apparently, teaching Amaris right now. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Will you be faithful to show up and to say, hey, will you teach me how to sing? Will you teach me how to lead a Bible study? Let me step in, even though I don't quite feel capable, confident, or commissioned to do it. God's promise of your purpose is a petition. But maybe it's not your time. Maybe it's not your talent. You have plenty of spiritual gifts you share to share. But do you have a tender heart? Do you care? One of the challenging realities of our culture right now is that we're a consumeristic culture. A culture of take. Give it to me. But the kingdom of God is a, is a culture of give, freely give. And so something really weird that you've probably seen is happening in Western churches these days where those two opposite cultures are colliding and we have a lot of people saying, hey, I want to take, I want to do what, I want to get what I want at this church. And because our church, KCC, is a church of God's culture, and we're like, we want to freely give because that's what Jesus tells us to do. And those two are colliding in a really weird way. And so what do we do? How do we reconcile those two cultures? Maybe you've been coming to KCC for a few years and, you know, you sit in the chair, you've enjoyed the AC, and, and we keep the AC running even if you don't give your tithe, your offering is not an admission ticket. We'll keep it running as long as the person next to you is giving their tithe. Um, <laughs> nudge the person next to you. We have freely given. Have you freely taken or have you joined with and freely given back with your time, your talent, your tithe? Or maybe you said, you know what? I'll give of my tithe. I'll throw that check in the, in the box. But I'm not giving of my time or my talent because I was burned at my last church. I don't want to get burned again. So here's my check. I'll come on Sunday and that's it. Or maybe you've enjoyed what we've given for a time. And you're like, yeah, I'll keep taking that. I'll even give back. I'll help out in Sunday school. And then we wrestle through what to do with the whole mask thing. And you're like, oh, I don't like the policy they made on masks. I don't like what they're giving. 
therefore I'm going to go to this church and I'll take what they give me because I like their policy on masks. If you show me in scripture, yeah, let's be a part of it. But have you been confronted with a challenge maybe from the pulpit or from another church member that has made you say, hey, peace out, no more fellowship for me? Or have you said, you know what, I've been challenged? Let's both dive into scripture together and let me give to this church my thoughts and see if we can come up with something even better here. And that's how we redeem the culture of consumerism, is we all become a culture of giving even when times get tough. Run your race, like Paul says, such a way that you may win the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Your next blank is don't prevent God's promise. Don't prevent God's promise. And yeah, there you go, it's on the screen. If there's something that's preventing you from doing God's work, just repent. Repent. Start doing God's work. Have that hard conversation. Rejoin with that area of hardship that you have and talk about it. Okay, but how? How do you do God's work? You want to do it. You got the time. You got the talent. You got the tender heart. You're not even in transgression, so how? How do you do God's work? Well, I'm going to propose three ways to do God's work. So you can leave here knowing how to do your purpose. It'd be rude if I didn't tell you. We'll start with the easy way to do God's purpose. We'll move to the harder way. The first way to do God's purpose. If the work of God is believing in Jesus, John 6, 29, this church, by doing what we do every week, our whole Sunday school, our, our Sunday services, our Ohana groups throughout the week, our VBS, our Awana, our outreach, our youth group, our Keiki crew, this church, in 21 years that we've been keeping records of these things, have seen 1,538 people believe in Jesus for the first time. Amen? Amen. Amen. But it takes a lot of people to do the work of this church so that those 1,500 people can come to know Jesus. For this weekend alone, you look around like, oh, like this was kind of easy to, to put on. For this weekend, these three services, it takes 60 individuals to run our weekend services. That's about one in every five people that's sitting in the chairs you're working this weekend. Thank you. Thank you for helping. This is just a list of the rough numbers um, of weekly ministry partners that we as a church need to see those 1,500 people come to know the Lord. Uh, Sunday school, 27. We do not have 27 Sunday school teachers or assistants right now. We're kind of short. Um, 27 people every week, uh, rotation basis, and it's super fun. Awana, when we start that back up in the fall, great ministry outreach program, 30. 30 people a week to help out. Right now we have about zero because we didn't do Ohana's last year. We're rebuilding that. Ohana group leaders. I just threw this number up, 15. 15 Ohana group leaders to lead home groups, these Ohana groups. The last number I heard before COVID, we had about 17 Ohana groups with about 220 individuals of our church a part of. Right now, I think we have like four or five Ohana groups with about like 60 or 70 people. We need some more Ohana group leaders to facilitate host to lead others and say, hey, like, what do you think about the sermon? Let's get together. Let's pray. Uh, scripture readers, three people to read. Uh, thank you, Karen, for being one of those. If you want to read scripture, whoo, we would love it if you would. Greeters at the front door, tech team, people helping with communion, uh, worship team, but you'll have to audition for that one. VBS. We already showed you a video trailer of VBS and what it looks like. How many individuals does it take to run 
of VBS. This, wait, somebody's had a guess? Choke. choke. Oh, choke, bra. <laughs> totally. It takes choke volunteers, which means a lot of volunteers to run VBS. About 55 individuals, three hours, five days in one week to run VBS. But when that happens, when you join as a ministry partner for VBS, let me show you a glimpse of what happens. Cue that video. You're here, and you'd like to ask Jesus to come into your life. Come up on the stage with me tonight, and if you come up here, outside and pray. But this is only for people who want to ask Jesus into their heart. Okay? If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, come up on the stage. So that running up on the stage on nights four and five, Thursday and Friday night, we share the gospel. We say, who wants to believe in Jesus? And these kids are like, me! And they run up, and true, it was one of those kids like six years ago. And these kids come to know Jesus, and we see 10, 20, 30, upwards of 40 kids, eternal destinies get changed, and they believe in Jesus. Because 55 of you went to that back table after this service and signed up, so thank you. Get ready, Cindy, they're coming. <laughs> Your purpose is promised and petitioned. But church is easy. We all like each other. We know the lingo. What about this one, though? You guys know this as the great commandment, or maybe the second one. It's kind of like the first. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the West, we often think of neighbor metaphorically. My neighbor is the orphan in Uganda. My neighbor is the homeless person in Chinatown that I feed once a week. That is totally true. They are our neighbors. But how often have we read this verse and said, you shall love your next door neighbor as yourself. It's kind of hard, right? Because you live next to them and there's like bushes and walls. And what if we took this commandment literally? And what if each of us actually knew the names of every single one of our neighbors and knew something about them, where they go to work, what they like to do, their hobbies? What would change in Kailua if we all did that? So I've been thinking about this a lot, and I asked a friend, I was like, how can we, how can we truly share the love of Jesus with our neighbors? And he was like, oh, it's easy. I got this great acronym, and I love acronyms. So Craig, shout out to you. I know you're not watching, but if you ever do, shout out to Craig. He said, Pete, just bless your neighbor. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Bless him. He's like, yeah, it's an acronym. Check it out. B, begin in prayer. Pray for your neighbor. You're, you're sitting at your dining room table. Pray for your neighbor right before you do dinner. And then L, listen to him. Like, you're just out, you're watering your grass, whatever, getting your mail, you see them, just say, hey, and just say, hey, what do you do? What do you like to do? Where are you from? Whatever. Listen to your neighbor. And then E, eat with them. Eat with them. Jesus ate with a lot of people, and people's lives get changed when there's food involved. <laughs> so eat with your neighbor. Invite them over for dinner. That might be a little intimidating. Invite them over for s'mores. Invite them over for a cold drink when the kids are out running around. Eat with them. And then S, serve them. You find out they have babysitter needs. Maybe they can't push their lawnmower because they're a bit old. Or maybe you just text them and say, hey, I'm going to Costco. Can I pick you up some salad or whatever? Serve your neighbors. And finally, S, share. You've gotten to know them. Just say, hey, can I just share with you like, how Jesus has touched my life? They'd be like, yeah, sure. You're a good person. Let's hear why you're a good person. Share with them. Bless your neighbor and Kailua will never be the same. Greater works, it's a promise and it's a petition. Okay, so do God's greater works in the church. Do it with your neighbors. Here's the hardest one. 
Do God's greater works. Believe in Jesus in your family. Oh, but Pastor Pete, my family's already a Christian. Man, you're going to have an easier job being kind to your mom when she says, pick up your room. You're going to have an easier time being patient with your husband when he comes home late from work again because there's been a training exercise. You're going to have an easier time because your family's a Christian to hold no record of wrongs with your mom, your dad, your spouse, your sibling. Do the greater works of Jesus in your home. It's a promise and a petition. So we're going to go back to my sweet little Amaris um, and put that picture back up. We, uh, so far, just to remind you, you know, eggs cracked, batter spilled, hair, uh, pancakes kind of foiled and crimped. Uh, Liz has done a good job of reclaiming that batter. We have a five-second roll, some spoons, put it back in the bowl. We're all good. Uh, Liz is like, okay, how much of the egg fell in? Let me try to get a new egg and work it out. Liz has reflipped all the pancakes now, and you know, little Maris is taking her chair back to the table. And now we're back at our table. Breakfast is ready. The Swedish pancakes are stacked, mile high. All the kids are looking at them, but Amaris is especially looking at them. And she looks at that pan those pancakes with deep joy and pride in her heart, knowing that Amaris, that she is the master Swedish pancake maker of our family. These are her pancakes. This is her work. Good job, Amaris. She owns it. And it's in the same way that you and I go about our day. We're, we're, we're doing the works of God in, in our church, and we're cracking that egg, and it's kind of spilling out of the bowl. We're spilling the batter when we're stirring it, when we're trying to bless our neighbors. We're flipping the pancakes. They get foiled when we try to do the greater works in our home. And just like Amaris has Liz to be doing the work for us, you too have God doing the greater works for you. Let's look at our last verse here. John 14, 12 through 14. The verse is right after our verse. We'll just start in verse, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, Jesus says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I, Jesus, will do it. Your last blank on your sermon notes. You got to write really small because I kind of changed it. Pull up a chair to God's promise. Pull up a chair to God's promise. Jesus will do his good works through you. So just pull up the chair. Would you pray with me? If you're here and you've never done the work of God, you've never believed in Jesus for yourself, Man, that's your invitation today, to believe in the work of God and his work is that he died on the cross for you. Would you just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe in you. Please forgive me of my sins. Let me walk with you. And if you're here and you've already done the good work of believing in Jesus, greater works have already happened in, in you and Jesus invites you, he petitions you to continue in doing greater works. Would you pray something like this? Say, Jesus, would you... Let me continue to believe in you and help me to lead others to believe in you. Either through the church or my neighbors and my family. Would you let me not be prevented 
from doing your good works by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name, amen.